We've been looking on Sunday nights for quite some time now at the emotional responses to God uh, that are mentioned in Scripture. We begin where the Bible begins. The fear of the Lord is the beginning. <laughs> the fear of the Lord is the beginning. Uh, we've looked at humbling ourselves before God. And, and also for the last couple of nights, we've been looking at the love of God. Love the Lord thy God. Tonight we're going to look at this again in 1 John chapter 4 and verse 20. If someone says, I love God and hates his brother, he is a liar. For he who does not love his brother whom he has seen, how can he love God whom he has not seen? And this commandment we have from him, uh, that he who loves God must love his brother also. Now, when we begin to think about the love of God with all of our heart, with all of our soul, with all our mind, and all of our strength, we've talked about the how question, is, and that is that this is something that's accomplished by the Holy Spirit that is shed abroad in our hearts. Like everything good and godly, we can't love God the way we should without the work of the Holy Spirit in us. We've also looked not only at the method of it, the how, but also the meaning of it, the what. And tonight I want us to look at the manifestation of it. How uh, does it look in your life and in mine when we are loving God? Loving God with all of our heart, with all of our soul, with all of our strength, with all of our mind. If you look on the dashboard of your vehicle you'll probably see somewhere gauge with the letter E on it and the letter F on it. Lines and colors are probably there. You may also have a computer display. That computer display will tell you the number of miles that you can estimate that you're going to continue to be able to drive before you run out of gas. Then there's a caution light that comes on that has a little gas pump on it. Have you seen that little caution light? Little gas pump sign? Okay. And then it starts beeping at you. Beep, beep. I'm sure some of you even have a voice that comes through your dashboard saying, you need to get gas, dummy. <laughs> no, you don't have that. I wish I did. How do we ever run out of gas? I have. I'm not going to ask for a show of hands. But I have several times. In fact, for every time, though, that I have run out of gas, I've almost run out of gas, coasted into the gas station, in spite of all of those things telling us, you need to get gas, you need to get gas, you're running on empty. Yeah. We don't pay attention to the gauges, the readouts, the alarm light, the bells, or the instructions. I bring that up to you tonight because when it comes to the love of God, uh, there is somewhat of a difficulty on our part. We're commanded, you see, to love Him with all our heart, with all of our soul, and with all of our mind, with all our strength. But how do we know this? How do we know whether this is happening or not. You see, we love God, but we can't see God. 
If I were to ask you tonight as believers in Christ, do you believe that God is always with us? Well, we would all say yes. Why? Because the Bible clearly says it. Jesus said it, I will never leave you nor forsake you. We absolutely believe that. So where is he exactly? He's with you all the time. What's he feel like? hard for us to describe. That brings into play then Hebrews chapter 11 and verse 6, which gives us this great declarative truth. Without faith, it is impossible to please Him. That's without faith. It's impossible, not really hard, not difficult. It is impossible to please God without faith. And the writer of the book of Hebrews gives us two reasons why this is true. Uh, First of all, if you're going to come to God at all, you must believe that He is. And secondly, if you're, going to come, if you're going to please God, then you must believe that He is a rewarder of them that diligently seek Him. And both of those things come to us then by faith. We know that there is a God. How? By faith. And we know that God is a rewarder of them that seek Him. You see, our entire approach to God is predicated on this faith. We must believe that God exists. No one would make any approach to God at all if they did not believe that He exists. And also that He's a rewarder. Uh, If God doesn't exist, we wouldn't seek Him. If God is not a rewarder, we'd have to ask, well, why bother? If, If there's no benefit to it, if there's no danger to not doing it, Increasingly in America, we find ourselves surrounded by either the I don't believe in God at all or the I don't care. Both of those crowds exist. Neither of them had the love of God in them at all. But we are believers. In fact, that's what we call ourselves. We're believers. We do believe in God. We do believe that God is a rewarder of them that diligently seek Him. We do understand the truth then of Scripture. We have heard the the gospel. We believed on Him that justifies the ungodly. And how do we love God? How do we know that we love God whom we have not seen? And that's really what John brings up in the text. If If we can't love our brother that we have seen, then how do we love God when we've not seen Him? Now, if we're capable of ignoring all of that information on our dashboard that would tell us whether our gas tank is empty or not, you disregard the gauges, maybe you'll go back and just pop the cap on the tank and have a look-see. Is that going to work? I don't trust them gauges. All right? Go back and look. We'll go by smell. Well, it smells like gas. Surely I've got plenty. I actually had a person one time that uh, I stopped to help, and they said, I know I've got gas. I know I'm not out of gas. How do you know? Because he said, I shook the car, and I can hear it rattling around in there. I know I've got gas. 
And he, and he was right. He did have some gas in there. Probably about a cup full. And it was enough to make a little noise. It was enough to make a smell. But it wasn't enough to keep his car growing. Especially on a hill. And that's where he was at. 2 Corinthians 5.14 gives us an explanation of why I brought this up to you tonight the way I did. For the love of Christ compels us. Because we judge this, that if one died for all, then all died, and he died for all, that those who live should no longer live for themselves, but for him who died for them and rose again. You see, it is our love for God that compels us. It's our love for God that keeps us going. It's our love for God that holds us back when we're trying to head into something that we shouldn't do. And it's what keeps us on task. It's what, it's what keeps us from consuming our life just on ourselves. So that we no longer would live for ourselves. So even though, see, you can't look in your gas tank. You can't go by what you see. You can't go by what you hear. You can't look in it and see. You can't hear it. You can't go by even what you smell. If the gauges are going off and it says your car is empty then the chances are you're out of gas. Not completely. You may still have a cup full in your tank. But it's not enough to keep your car going. When our spiritual life, when our service of God stops running, when our hearts feel somehow depleted, when the power goes out of our worship, when we're struggling, the first thing we need to check is our love for God. Because the Bible tells us very plainly, it is the love of God that compels us, constrains us, that keeps us going. The love of God compels us. And I'll remind you again of a passage I read for you last week. Matthew chapter 24 and verse 12. And because iniquity shall abound, uh, the love of many shall wax cold. We live in that day, the day that Vance Havner famously called the days of abounding lawlessness and abating love. Because of the abounding iniquity, the love of many will wax cold. There's something about living in a, in a world that is full of of sin and full of sinfulness that works against our love for God. Almost like it leeches it out of us, just slowly, imperceptibly. Suddenly we're looking around saying, well, something's wrong. <laughs> it's not like we can see God. If we could see God then maybe it would be like things are if, if, if it's our spouse, you know. If, if things aren't going well with our spouse, we know it. Things aren't going well with our friends, we know it. We can see it on their countenance. We can, we can tell something's wrong, something's out of kilter, something's missing. So is there a gauge on the dashboard of life that will tell us how much love we have in our tank, how our love for God is doing? And the answer to that question is yes, and it's right here in our text. 
It's all about our love for one another. See, our love for God is manifested in the way that we love one another. When I hear God's people talking about uh, you know, how they don't, don't, don't long for the fellowship of, of their brothers and sisters in Christ, it would be easy to blame it on them. Uh, that is, on our brothers and sisters. Well, they're just hard to get along with. Well, I just long, don't like them folks. It would be easy to do that. But the fact is, according to 1 John chapter 4, our text tonight, our love for our brethren is an indication of our love for God. The manifestation, then, of our love for God. How does it show up in our life? It shows up in our love for one another. A couple of things I, I want us to do. and First of all, I want us to look at that E sign for a little bit about what it looks like. First uh, John chapter 2 and verse 15. In case you didn't know it, John talked about this a lot in his first epistle. 1 John chapter 2, verse 15, Love not the world, neither the things that are in the world. If any man, any man, love the world, the love of the Father is not in him. For all that is in the world, the lust of the flesh and the lust of the eyes and the pride of life is not of the Father, but is of the world. And the world passes away and the lust thereof, but he that doeth the will of God abideth forever. Now let's remind ourselves tonight that John was not writing to a bunch of lost people, but to a bunch of saved people. His little children and uh, the whole subject of this, his, his family of faith. And he's warning then believers of the possibility of the fact that we would begin to love the world. And because of that, that love of the Father would just go away. The word for world in this passage is the Greek word cosmos. It's the word from which our word cosmetic is derived. And it's uh, very interesting that uh, John would use that word in this context about the love of the world and how it crowds out the love of the Father because the love of the world, this cosmetic kind of love, is all about what? Our desires, the lust of the flesh, uh, the lust of the eyes, and the pride of life. Uh, our, the lust of the flesh, our desires, what we want. What makes us feel good? The lust of the eyes. What we see that we don't have that we want. And pride. What makes us look good? Our appearance. John warns us that it's possible for us to continue on in our life and even our service of God and even convince ourselves and others that we're doing all that we're doing for the love of God. When in fact it can be the love of the cosmos, the love of the world. And all that's in the world is the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, and the pride of life. That's a hard pill to take. But we all need to take it. It's a dose we all need to consider. That yes, it's possible even to serve God. Convince ourselves that it's all because we love God, and yet the reality of it is we like the way it makes us feel. We like the way it makes us look or appear. It's all about our own, it can be all about our own desires. We'll serve God as long as it's going the way I want it to go. It can be that way. 
But John is very blunt in this passage. He says, don't be fooled. Don't confuse yourself. Because if that's what it is, that's not the love of God. We need to carefully evaluate ourselves. Bring ourselves, yes, our hearts to God with the prayer of the psalmist from time to time. Lord, search me and know my heart. Because I'm easily fooled. If there's a wicked way in me, God, show it. I don't want this kind of cosmetic kind of love that crowds out the real thing. I don't want this kind of of religious devotion and something that I'm calling the love of God that's really about me just feeling better, getting what I enjoy doing, looking good. Don't want that. See, if we live with a me first instead of a God first idea, then that's where it all heads up. Great story about that Jesus gave in Luke chapter 9 when Jesus compelled a man to follow him. And he said, suffer me first, allow me or permit me first to go and bury my father. You see, me first just never really goes with our service for God. We may have a cosmetic kind of love that uh, looks good, makes us look good, and maybe it kind of smells like God's love, sounds like God's love. I'm not going to tell you there's not a little bit of love of God there, but it's sloshing around there in the bottom of our tank, and it's not enough to keep us going. We need more than that. The reason is obvious. Folks, things aren't always going to go our way. We're not always going to get what we want. It's not always going to be like we like it. Things are not always going to be easy for us. And there's a lot of things that happen around the service of God that uh, tweak our pride pretty hard. It's not always going to be uh, the way that we like it or the way that we want it. And that's okay because if we're serving God, then our compelling issue is, am I pleasing God? Is God pleased? Are we honoring God? Are we serving God? Are we worshiping God? If we are, He's pleased. And we can be a long way then down the road to serving Him and loving Him with all of our heart, soul, mind, and strength. So one of the ways that we end up with an E on our love of God tank is when we allow the Love of the world to crowd out the love for God. But then John also warns us about this completely counterfeit kind of love. If somebody says, I love God and hates his brother, he's a liar. He's a liar. For he does not love his brother whom he has seen. How can he love God whom he has not seen? And this commandment we have from him that he who loves God must love his brother also. John remembered those words of Jesus in John chapter 14, verse 15. If you love me, keep my commandments. Brings that up in 1 John chapter 3 and verse 10. In this the children of God and the children of the devil are manifest. Whoever does not practice righteousness is not of God, nor is he who does not love his brother. For this is the message that you have heard from the beginning that we should love one another. 
Remember, all of the law was summarized in that two, those two statements. Love the Lord thy God and love one another. Loving God is the summary of everything that the law of God required. Loving one another. We put those two things together. On this, Jesus said, hangs all the law and the prophets. It gives us many things we do or we don't do in our love for God. And many things that we do or don't do because of our love for one another. So we can talk about loving God. But if we hate our brother, we're lying ourselves. We're lying to ourselves. And it doesn't matter even if we can cry while we sing, Oh, how I love Jesus. If we hate our brother, John says, we're lying. I've been a pastor now for a long time. And you know, I I don't remember anybody just looking me in the eye and say, We know, preacher, I I just hate you. (laughs) I've never had anybody tell me that. Uh, now, I've had people walk around me and not speak to me for 10 years or so. But, oh, no, they, they don't hate me. No, no, because why? Christians don't hate people. So this is how it turns out looking. You know, there's people I won't look at. There's people I won't speak to. I wouldn't sit by them if somebody paid me a million dollars and don't even think I'm going to shake hands with them. And that was before COVID. I'm I'm not going to hug them. I don't like them. I don't want to be anywhere around them. But I don't hate them. And don't you dare tell me I do. Because Christians don't hate people. We need to take a long, hard look at this, folks. I'm not fussing at y'all tonight. And, you know, we we might have visitors out there. I don't know. I ain't got my glasses on. I can't tell. I think some of you might be, but. No, we're we're not having a church squabble. We're not. Call this preventative medicine. Why are we preaching it? Because I've been preaching on how we love God. And because the Bible so clearly says, if you love, say you love God, but you hate your brother, you're lying. You're lying. Because our love for our brothers and sisters in Christ. Oh, listen tonight, there's so many passages that we don't have time to even begin to scratch the surface in all of them that govern our conduct toward one another. About forgiving one another, it seemed like Jesus said something about that when He taught us how to pray. And you ask God to forgive you. Take a minute to forgive one another. Isn't that in the Lord's Prayer? Forgive us our trespasses as we forgive those who trespass against us. How are we doing there? You see, all of these things relate to our love for one another. And because it relates to our love for one another, you see, we love our brothers and sisters in Christ because we can see them. And it shows us then about our love for God who we can't see. Paul the Apostle gave us a great statement about this. When he said, we preach not ourselves, but Christ Jesus the Lord. And ourselves, your servants, for Jesus' sake. 
We preach not ourselves, but Christ Jesus the Lord and ourselves, your servants, for Jesus' sake. You see, it's possible for us to love people, not because they're all that lovable, but because we love God. And we know God loves them. That doesn't mean we have particularly fond feelings about them. Because remember, we've talked about this before. Love is not defined by how it feels, but by how it behaves. Love suffers long. Love is kind. Love envieth not. Love vaunteth not itself. Love is not puffed up. Seeketh not her own. Doth not behave itself unseemly. On and on and on the list goes. Of all the things love does and love doesn't do, it's defined by what it does. God so loved the world that He gave His only begotten Son. How do we know God loves us? Did He sit in heaven and write poetry to us? No. He didn't describe His love for us and His feelings for us, but in what He's done. God so loved the world that He gave His only begotten Son. We love God. If you're a Christian, you do. The question we have then to consider tonight, and I hope we'll consider it carefully, because we spent of all these emotional responses that the Bible speaks of to God, this is the one that's talked about the most, and it's the one I preached about the most. So we might all think about it and go away thinking about it in the weeks ahead. It's a great time for us to consider how well we're doing it, loving one another, and thereby manifesting our love for God. I don't think any of us would boast and say, yeah, you know, I've got a full tank of God's love. I don't think we'd say that. But I hope we can say, I've got more than just a little cup full sloshing around down in the bottom. If you do, then that shows up by the way it keeps us going. And it keeps us loving then our brothers and sisters in Christ. If we are struggling in this area, then we need to ask for Romans 5.5 to happen in our life. Hope does not disappoint because the love of God has been poured out in our hearts by the Holy Spirit. And that's a great prayer for us to pray. God, we live in wicked times. There's a lot of things going on that's working against your love in my life. Holy Spirit, fill my heart with the love of God. Stand together, please.